Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I've been noticing you've a lot of clapping going on this morning. Like Crystal got a clap for just her announcements. I was like, how does that work? That was that's pretty impressive. That's Crystal. You know, that's what she gets. Um, I don't know about you, but I love that we're a church that's on mission. That's one of the things that brought me to this church is a church that's living it out. And I wish we could spend hours talking about all the stories of impact that this church has had over the years all over the world. And so I just love that that's what we're all about as a church. Um, if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series called The Spirit. Last week, Ryan and Jen did an incredible job talking about what it looks like when the Spirit transforms and renews our mind. And this week, we're talking about the Spirit on mission. What does it look like to be on mission with Jesus. And I think as Christ followers, we kind of have a picture in our heads of what that looks like. You know, it's kind of the greatest commandment and um, the great commission wrapped in one. But there's this thing going on in our hearts and in our world that's kind of preventing us from being able to be on mission. It's hindering our ability to follow Jesus on uh, mission. And it's this little word called division. Uh, this little tiny thing going on in our minds and our hearts called division. And uh, I think we can all relate to it in some way or another. We're living in like one of the most polarized times in recent memory. We're polarized over everything. We're divided over everything. Um, I was reading an article just the other day, and it was about Starbucks is doing a different kind of ice cube, and now there's boycotts against Starbucks for their ice cube. I'm like, it gets this trivial sometimes. I mean, I never would do something like that, but this is where we're at with this whole thing. And I mean, there's important issues that we're divided on, right? We don't, there's some very important things that are tricky to figure out how do we, how do we work through this? But we do this thing as humans where we group, right? We form these little groups around things that we've shared value sets. And that's not a bad thing. It's a natural human thing that we do. But there's these issues that just divide us. And so I just wanted to talk about some of those this morning. And we're going to put up one of the most divisive issues in our culture right now, which is this. What's the best sandwich? <laughs> right? In and out or Chick-fil-A. So you have to participate. Raise your hand if you're like, it's in and out. It's by far the better. Yes, you guys are all correct. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is second best. It's good, but it's not that good, right? So we got the in-group and out-group going on right there with that one. Sorry, I'm up here, and so, you know, I get to decide these things. Um, all right, next most divisive issue is this is a big one. Padres or Dodgers? Okay, we know the Dodger fans are brave, so raise your hand if you are a Dodger fan. You know what? Just move out. Just move up to LA then. Just move up there. If you love them so much, then get out of here. We don't need you in San Diego. We're... Red Sox. Red Sox? Now we're just, no, no. Okay, last one. Here we go. This is also quite divisive. Literally. Um, iPhone or Android? I don't know. Okay, raise your hand if you're like Apple all the way. It's the premium product. It's beautiful. Yes, Apple people, you Android people, just because 70% of the world uses an Android doesn't mean it's better, okay? It doesn't mean it, you nerds are like, oh, sorry. 
But uh, we're divided. Here's some, you know, these are some of the, the lighter ones. But we actually, like, have opinions about this stuff, too, right? But here's some of the real ones that we, we won't raise our hands on these, okay? Let's keep our hands down. Let's not talk about these in church. This isn't the place for that. But maybe you're sitting there and like you kind of start to feel that, you know, rush of adrenaline and you're starting to clench up and how could there be two sides to this thing if you're a Christian? Like how, what? There's a tension there, right? We feel it. We all feel it in our gut. What do we do with this? What do we do with that? One journalist, we can take that down. That's, we don't want to keep looking at that. <laughs> I'll start dividing over stuff in church. One journalist said that we're in a slow civil war going on in America. That's how pervasive this is right now. And not all grouping is bad, right? God wired us for community. He wired us for relationship. So we group, and that's, that's okay. We, we group things and categorize things to understand them. So we have to label and group things to understand them as humans. Uh, we group for efficiency to get our jobs done. We can work faster. We can accomplish way more when we work in teams and as groups. Uh, groups give us a sense of belonging over shared values and shared ideas. We can come together when we form groups. But then there's this dark side, right? There's this dark side to grouping and it's division. It's separation. And when we put people, humans, into categories and we label them and separate from them, we dehumanize them. A group doesn't have a soul. It's not made in the image of God. It's just a group. And so once we've put people in that group, now we can treat them however we want. Because it's not, it's not human. It's not a human entity. It's a group. And so this thing, I can treat that group however I want because they're not human. They're not made in the image of God because it's just that other group. Look at this quote by Miles McPherson. This captures it perfectly. He says this, when we label someone consciously or unconsciously as something other than our neighbor, our brother, or our sister, it disqualifies them from being someone we need to love. It gives us a pass in our own selfish minds to treat people any way we feel they should be treated. Their entire group can actually become disposable to us personally and in the broader context of society. This is what happens when we label and we separate. We're dehumanizing one another. But I want to explore kind of today, what are some of the theological implications? Like what's going on theologically and also in the psychological sphere inside of us that we group, that we divide? Like what's really going on? Let's dig into that. Because it's preventing us. It's hindering us from being on mission with God. And I think one of the things that we'll see in the text today is one of the things that we're doing is we don't actually trust in God's justice. Is that true? It's like, no, but they're getting it wrong. They're going to corrupt me and my kids and they're immoral. And how could they believe this? I have to protect, you know, I got to do something about it. And, and we become the, the ultimate judge. But what, what does scripture say? We're reminded that God is the only one that gets to judge. Got some scriptures up here. Only God gets to judge. He's the ultimate one. He gets to label, divide, and separate. We don't. 
So am I saying we just get a, we throw out our morality and we, we don't vote, we don't participate? No, it doesn't mean we don't do those things. Still participate in all those activities, but we cannot let that, we cannot let that get in the way of loving a person. We can't let it get in the way of loving a person. Sometimes we find more identity in our groups and our groupish behavior than we do in God. I put this label on me, I'm more in this group than I am a Christ follower. It happens. And here's a, a reminder, a thought for us as Christ followers. This isn't our ultimate resting place. Like we're passing through, this isn't our final kingdom, so why are we working so hard to defend it? Again, not throw all morality out, but there's a tension there. This is what's going on inside of us. This division, this polarization. But I think it's good that Ryan asked me to talk today because I don't struggle with this issue in my own heart. So I'm the perfect person to be up here talking about division. Uh, it's not true. Every issue on the board I had an opinion on. But I don't think this is the format to talk about those issues from this platform and in this setting. But so I'm like asking God, I'm like, but I have to be able to share something. Like there's something in me that I can share. And so I didn't see this until God pointed out to me. Um, but I pride myself, which you should never pride yourself on anything. I pride myself on being a person who tries to have an open mind for other people, other cultures, other ways of living. I'm not going to put my belief set or values on you. I try to be that person. But here's, here's the kicker. Here's what I do. Is if you are the type of person that's going to, you know, ostracize or villainize a group of people, then I'm going to come after you. <laughs> then I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to put a label on you and separate. We all have this tension going on in our hearts. And God's mission for our world, it's the great commandment and it's the great commission, right? It's love God, love people, and then make disciples of all nations. This is, this is our calling. This is our mandate. But God's mission in the world, it's being hindered by this division in our hearts. It's being hindered. I mean, God's going to, he's going to accomplish his mission with or without us. That's true. He doesn't need us. But what does it take for us to get on board with his mission? How do we root out this division that's going on in our hearts? And so let's look at the passage for today. We're in Acts 10. So you can pull out your Bible or your iPhone. If you brought your iPhone, you can pull out your iPhone and uh, read the scripture on there. It's more accurate when reading from an iPhone. So go ahead and do that for us right now. And um, all right, Acts 10. And remember, we read this last week and we're still in this. This is Peter. God's calling him to go to the Gentiles, to Cornelius, the unclean people, the outside group. Let's read about it in Acts 10, verse 9. It says this. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. It's called hangry. He was hangry. We saw heaven open up, something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds, and a voice told him, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter responds in the dream, surely not. 
I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I doubt that, Peter, but okay. It's just a dream. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so picture yourself, Peter, right now. Everything in him, his tradition, his religion, his values, everything says don't eat. It's unclean. The Gentiles, they're an unclean people. Stay away. Right? Everything in him. And yet it's got to be so confusing for Peter in this passage because this dream is saying, no, you can't label something clean, unclean that I've labeled clean. So there's this tension. He's got to be so confused. Like, what is God saying in this moment? And the truth is that when Jesus came, he established a new covenant for the Gentile people. That old covenant never, never, no longer applied to them, right? You didn't have to become, and this was the de- big debate in the Jewish community, you didn't have to become a Jew before you could become a Christ follower. You, you just had direct access through Jesus. So it was this new, new covenant for the Gentiles, and the Jews couldn't wrap their head around this. How is this possible? They don't have to obey any of our laws, and they can still follow God? It was just like this big tension, this big divisive thing going on in the culture. Something else is happening in this dream is Peter's hearing the voice of God, right? He's hearing the voice of God, but he's misinterpreting what the voice is saying. Because he says, surely not. It's almost like he's laughing to himself going, of course not. Is this a trick? Is this some kind of game? Of course I wouldn't associate with those people the right response is label and separate. I've been doing it my whole life. This is what a good Jew does. And the, whole, the Spirit, the voice of God, is saying something different. He's saying, no, I'm calling you to enter in, to go to the unclean place that you've labeled unclean. So he's misinterpreting the voice of the Spirit. What does this look like in our own lives? Well, we have these... We have these convictions, these, these passions in us, and they're, pro- they're like more in our gut than in our heads, right? Because we're not always rational when we're in these places. It's like God's hardwired these values into us. And what the Spirit is saying is don't separate based on that value. Enter in, cross the barrier, go into those other groups that are different from you. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. But there's something holding Peter back. There's something that holds us back. This is another one of those things that's in us that we probably don't know is going on. And it's this thing called fear. Fear. But what if I associate with that group? Are they going to corrupt me and my kids? And there's a tension there. It's fearful. And this is a natural human response. When we are afraid of something, what do we do? We go into this, this fight or flight mode. It's a physiological response. It's happening unconsciously. If there's a threat, if there's danger, if it's unsafe, we do this thing called fight or flight, right? You either run away, get away from it, or you attack it. Isn't that what we're, we do in culture, right? I either un, you're gonna unsub, unfollow you, cancel you, Or on the other side of it, I'm going to come after you and attack you and villainize you. It's this fight or flight response around fear that's happening inside of our bodies. 
things that are unlike us, that are different from us, strike us as unsafe. And then it kicks off this whole thing inside of us. Uh, There's an incredible book. I want to put it up here. If you haven't read it, pick it up. Has anybody read The Righteous Mind? It's not a Christian book. It's a, a psychologist, sociologist. Why good people are divided around politics or religion. It's such an eye-opening thing of what's really going on in our culture. So if you want to dive into that, pick up that book. It's super helpful. But this, there's this fear response going on. And the truth is, there's only one thing we should fear. Who's that? There's only one... Yeah, we... We know this, right? The only thing to fear in this world is God himself. We don't have to fear those other groups or that ideology or that value set. At the end of the day, the only fear we should have is reverence and fear for our God. Um, The other day I saw this playing out, this thing of fear uh, at the, the softball field. My daughter, Rue, is on a U8 softball team called Lilac Attack, and uh, we had a good run. We had a good run. We made it to the playoffs, and then the other team had a pitcher that was twice the girl's size. They didn't show us birth certificates, but I knew she was like at least in sixth grade, so they cheated. <laughs> they cheated, but, but we did our best, you know, Lilac Attack. And that, we were at the ball field one day, and it was just like these two dads, I don't know what happened, but like somebody threw a ball and it almost hit a kid. And so these two dads get up and they just start seeing red, right? No rational thought. It's that fear response kicking in. And they just start going at it, like in each other's faces. Like, what are you doing? Don't throw that. You're going to hit the kids and get out of here. And, and, um, and we're like watching. It's like, it looks like fifth graders, you know, just fighting. It's like the same. And we, we do this. We do this. And it becomes entertaining. It's like seven minutes into this argument and all the girls are like watching, like what's going to happen here, you know? And all the, the rest of us are like, this is fascinating, like, you know, entertainment. And it just keeps going. <laughs> so finally, you know, somebody's got to do something. So I decide with my large intimidating frame to just kind of walk over there and um, put my foot down and they just ran away. So I just scared them all. <laughs> Uh, that didn't happen. I mean, I, I did walk over there and I said, okay, guys, I think we're done. We're good. This, we get it, you know, and they just kind of went and did their own thing. But it's this, there's this fear, this, this energy that, come, that enters into us. It's not rational. And it just takes over. And it just takes over. Check out this quote by Martin Luther King. I'm convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. Isn't that true? They don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other, and they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. Fear goes away when you see the person behind the label, when you see that it's a person made in the image of God. So how are we supposed to get on board with God's mission? How do we do this? Well, Peter, he, he gets this point through the transformation of the renewing of his mind. He's asking, God, change my heart. You're giving me dreams. You're telling me to go to Cornelius and these immoral Gentiles. And so he starts to move one step after the other. You look at that story and God just opens the doors, little baby steps to get Peter to the place of going into a Gentile's home. Let's read about it in verse 27. 
says this, while talking to him, Peter went inside. So he goes into Cornelius's home and found a large gathering of people and said to them, and he just calls it out, the tension. You are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate, associate with and visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Verse 44 says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, even on that crazy group of people, even on those other people, the Holy Spirit, God is for them. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What's interesting about this passage is it should have just stopped at verse 44. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came and all who heard the message were saved. Like, why don't we just stop there and celebrate? (laughs) Like the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Gentiles are being saved. Like this is it. This is God's mission in the world taking place. Like what's this next thing going on? And you can see uncircumcised believers were astonished. How could this happen? How could this happen? What's interesting, too, is who is Cornelius? Who is this Gentile that God wants Peter to visit? Well, Cornelius was a man of influence, a person of peace. He was a good man, a generous man. People loved him. He was well-respected in his community, Malcolm Gladwell would call him somebody who's a tipping point. A tipping point. And what happened through Cornelius is he was one of the first Gentile converts. And so through him, the word of God began to spread throughout all the Gentiles, throughout all the nations, through this one man, through this one moment. If God says go, who are we to say no? Who do you say no? I'm not, I'm not going. So we got to see the person behind the label. Because what if that person is Cornelius? What if God's revival for, this, for our planet is going to happen through that group that we've labeled is nuts, is crazy, is impure? What if that's God's mission, is in that group? Not just in this group, you know, in our church, in our locker room here. It's in that other group. we got to see people behind the labels. They have a name. They have a history. They have a story. They're made in the image of God. Last verse I want to read is in chapter 11. Check this out. Um, Peter leaves the home of Cornelius. He goes away. He goes back into his Jewish community to celebrate. Look what God did. This is amazing. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went through Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised and ate with them. So what happened to Peter? Now he's an outsider. He's been canceled. He's like, no, you associated with these crazy people. Now you're crazy. You're one of them. His own community is doing this to him. And what's so significant about this is the hang-up that the Jewish community had is it says that he ate with them. He ate with them. 
This is something called table fellowship. And in the Jewish culture, this meant that you were family. You were fully embraced, fully in love, fully loved. You're a brother, a sister, like you, you are one of us. That's what was ta- table fellowship was. Also, scholars point out that there was 229 purity laws around table fellowship, around eating a meal. So picture Peter in this moment. He's sitting at this table with all these Jewish people, or all these Gentiles, and he's just breaking law after law. I'm not washing my hands properly. I shouldn't be touching that. I shouldn't be eating this. Imagine how uncomfortable Peter was in that moment. 229 laws. He's just like, I was never supposed to do this. Goes against my tradition. What would my mom and dad like? So much tension there in Peter. But he shows up. He removes that label. He sees Cornelius. Catherine Grebe writes this. The inclusion of Gentiles is not a reluctant or perfunctory, great word, Toleration of a new group, its full inclusion implies getting to know them, hearing their stories, and accepting hospitality from them in their homes, sharing the same table. I mean, isn't this what Jesus did when he was doing ministry? Everything about Jesus' ministry was going to the outsiders, going to the outgroup. He sat at the table. Picture in your mind the worst, most corrupt politician you could ever imagine. There's probably different images in your mind, depending on who's in this room. And Jesus sat across the table and had a meal with that person. Tell me your story. I want to know more. The most corrupt business person taking advantage with their employees and the people sat there and had a meal with that person. I don't know if I could do that. That's hard. And isn't this what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? We had this nice little label on us called sinner. We had this label called sinner, and at the cross, Jesus removed that label. He took it off, and he says, no, you're you're my beloved. I see you. I love you. You're made in my image. I don't see that label. And through Jesus, through the cross, now we have direct access to our creator, to our father. Jesus removes labels. What does that look like in our lives? I want to read you guys a story. There is a um, family in our church who told me this incredible story, and I'm like, I need to tell that. That's exactly what we need to hear as a church. It's uh, the Myers family, Ryan and Carrie, and as Ryan told me this story, I was like trying to like condense it and simplify it so I could tell it, and I couldn't. So I have to read you the whole story that he wrote. It's going to take me four and a half minutes. So this is story time. All right, get comfortable. Don't fall asleep. But I literally like, I, I, every time I read, I start weeping. So I hope that doesn't happen this service because I don't want to mess up this beautiful story. Check this out. Carrie and I moved into our home five years ago and immediately began to build relationships with the people in our neighborhood. Our son was eight months old at the time, and we wanted to create a sense of community with our little family. We have neighbors from all walks of life, both young and old, and one of our neighbors, a lesbian couple, who have a couple of adopted children, made an immediate connection with us. 
Over the next few years, our families grew close. We learned that they grew up Catholic but stopped going to church because of how the church viewed their relationship. Years later, they decided to send their son to a private school for the structure and values, the value system it provided. The school knew about their relationship and thought it would be a good environment for him. However, after word of the parents grew, he became a distraction to the other students, and he was kicked out of the school. Over the past years, our love and compassion for our neighbors has exploded. We decided that our differences would not get in the way of that. Fast forward today to today. We recently learned that one of them has a brain tumor. Without knowing much, instant shock and fear gripped her and her wife. I woke up Wednesday, April 12th at 3 a.m., and she was on my heart. So I began to pray, and I sent my neighbor the following message. This is what Ryan texts his neighbor. I didn't realize that today was the day, but I woke up very early in the morning, which I normally only get up if the kids are throwing up or if the bed's wet. (laughs) And you were on my mind and my heart. Let me first start by saying that I'm a very private person about my faith. Heck, I don't even sing in church because it makes me uncomfortable. But I wanted to share this with you. I sat here and started to pray. I know your family has been burnt by people from the church, and my heart breaks because of that. My hope is that my family can be a better example of the church. And I was asking God to reveal his love for you and your family. God wants you to know that he's with you. He knows what you need and he's there. He's also with your family. He knows they're scared and wants to remind them that his arms are open wide. No, I'm not hearing voices, although I might sound a little crazy. But I feel something very real that I need to tell you. And then he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. And then he closes with this. Here's my prayer. God, give her peace and comfort. Help her to know that you are near. Bless these doctors and give them wisdom, guidance, and precision. Thank you for the miracle of modern science. Maybe it's five treatments, maybe it's one, or maybe it's none. But whatever it is, may it be enough. I pray for healing only you can provide. I also pray a special prayer for her family. I know they're scared. Comfort them. Give them peace. Help them know you are near. Later that day, she responds to this text, and she says this. Wow, I feel so blessed by your message. Honestly, thank you for sharing this. I only found out two days ago that this was beginning today. Thank you again. I feel the love. And what's so cool, a few days later, he got a text, and they found out the tumor was benign is beautiful. So I don't know about you, but I want to be like that. I think that's, that's a picture of what God's mission looks like for us. Removing those labels, 
entering into these groups of people that we might disagree with. Why? Because there's a Cornelius on the other side. Just maybe, maybe God wants to pour out his spirit on that person. And through that person, a revival will break out. So I'm going to call the band out uh, to play behind us. And I want us to take, if you give me two minutes, two minutes, I want us to visualize what this looks like in our lives, to picture what could this look like in our lives. So go ahead and close your eyes. Close your eyes. Go with me on this. Two minutes. The band's going to play. I just want us to kind of picture what is this, what does this look like? All right, so your eyes are closed. All right, picture that group of people that drives you nuts. Like when you think of this group, you're, you, know, you start to get red and you get hot and you're like, how could anybody think like that? There's probably multiple, but pick one. Pick a group that you're like, you don't want anything to do with them. Now you're going to try to picture a person, an individual that fits inside that group. Maybe it's an adult child, maybe it's a parent, a sibling, could be a spouse, an aunt and uncle, a coworker, somebody in your neighborhood that thinks like that. All right, you've got their name, you've got their face. If, if no one comes to mind, then ask God to put you in touch with someone who fits into that group. God, introduce me to someone in a group that I disagree with. All right, now imagine you've got that name, you've got that picture of that person. You walk up to them and you say, hey, let's hang out. Let's grab, let's grab some food. I want to invite you to my house next week. Let's come over. Let's spend some time together. They take you up on your invitation. They show up to your door. You hear the knock at the door. It's them. And then you get that response, you know, that fight or flight response. You're like, oof, they're here. I don't know. It's uncomfortable. But you're like, whatever. And you invite them in. Come in, have a drink. Start to talk. You sit down for a meal. And then the conversation picks up. You're like, man, what's with this weather? Do we live in Portland or what? This is ridiculous. I thought we paid the sunshine tax. Well, that's, I know, it's so true. It's been so gray. And then conversation continues and you're like, man, I just feel like a glorified Uber driver with my kids. I'm driving them to every activity. I know, me too. It's just like we don't have a life. We're just, and the kids don't even care. I know, what's with these kids? And then you really start to get into over really intense topics like In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A. And you're like, what's the best sandwich? <laughs> and what you, you start laughing together. And what you find is that you have more in common than you have differences. You're more alike than you are different. You realize that empathy is the antidote to division. And you realize in that moment that maybe God's mission for the world, his great commandment, his great commission is going to be carried out through that person 
that you're having table fellowship with. Maybe that's what God wants to do. And it took us showing up to that table, having a meal with that person, crossing that boundary. All right, well, you guys can, can open your eyes. And on your way in today, you were given a little label. You might have already written your name on it and put it on. That wasn't the intention, but that's okay. Uh, if you didn't get one of these or if you wrote on already, the ushers are going to come around. They have extra pens and labels. And write the person on there that you were thinking of. Write their name on there. If no person came to mind, write the group on there. Maybe really small so no one sees it. You know, Just write the group on there. And ask God to show you someone in that group where you're being called to cross that boundary, that barrier. So in a minute, you're going to write that name on there, and then you're sticking this on a mirror in your car, in your water bottle, back of your phone, and you're going to pray for probably not this person. You're probably praying for your own heart to be able to enter into relationship with this person. Stick it where somewhere you can see it, and let's begin to pray for our own hearts around this. Let's sing together. something down so if you need more time I want you to just feel free to sit and reflect don't try to rush through just really ask the Lord to reveal something to you if he hasn't yet And as we begin to sing this, you can join in, you can stand, you can sit, you can dance in the back, lay down on the floor, whatever you want to do. So shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion, your way is better. So shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better, your way is better. So shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better.
God, we just thank you that, uh, Jesus, on that cross, you removed that label from us, God. We, we aren't sinners. We're not messed up in your eyes. We're just your children. We're your beloved. But yet, God, we feel like we have to run around as judge. God, help us to just remove labels and see people the way you see people. And it's hard. There's a tension there. Help us. We need your help to transform our minds, transform our hearts, and be in a place of love. Whatever walls we put up, whatever barriers we've set, God, help us to trust that you are in control, you are judge, you will make things right one day. But for now, it's our job to just love, to just see people, to sit, to hear stories, and to tell them, just like Ryan did, that you are loved, you are seen. God, that's what your mission is for us, and we can't wait to see what's gonna happen as we begin to live that out in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our families, God. Help us to be people on mission with your spirit. God, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today, you guys. Have a great week. See you back here next weekend. Stop.